Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Dolphins fans, to another episode of On the Fence Side. Here with uh, Kat and Paul Pickin. Uh, give us a call here at 714-333-3302. We're here bringing you unfiltered Dolphins talk as we approach the NFL draft just under a month away. We're going to have C.K. Parrott joining us later uh, at 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern to discuss the available offensive guards that we can expect to be available throughout the rounds of the NFL draft. Paul, starting off, Arian Foster visiting this week from uh, to Miami. Nothing appears imminent. Uh, uh, multiple-time Pro Bowl running back, 29 years old. Is Arian Foster a running back that you'd be interested in, in the Dolphins kicking the tires on? I think you kind of have to with this guy. I mean, I know people are staying away because of the injury bug that he's had because he did get used extensively. Um, and his body may be breaking down at this point. But when he's healthy, he's been one of the top running backs in the NFL over the past several years. So, yeah, there's some worry given his injury history. But if you can bring him in and he can keep his health up by being part of a platoon with Jai, he could be a very special back in that backfield. You know, uh, I remember being at the Dolphins game last year when they were playing the Texans, and, and Lamar Miller had 236 yards at halftime total uh, and two touchdowns. And Arian Foster had a torn ACL. And I remember thinking, man, oh, man, I really wish we had Arian Foster uh, in his two and a half yards of carry. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but really, it, it, to me, a couple of things. Number one, I agree with you in terms of why not at this point. You know, you're talking about a 29-year-old back, and if he is recovered, at least gives you a veteran presence out there. I mean, really, if you look at the free agent market, the next best running back could be LeGarrette Blunt, And, you know, LeGarrette's going to come in here and probably punch somebody in the face, and that's not going to go well with Steve Ross's anti-bullying uh, campaign. So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I think that there's no better demonstration for how the Dolphins have messed up the running back spot so far in free agency than than the fact that they're looking at Arian Foster now. Some of it's their fault. Some of it isn't. Would love to have had Lamar Miller back. Uh, a lot of interesting names in the NFL draft as well uh, as as we move as we move forward. But let's let's stick here uh, at, at the running back spot for for just a little bit, Paul. Um, in terms of um, um, in terms of Arian Foster, yeah, I, I, I understand that you like him a whole heck of a lot. What, what else do you have to contribute to that? Um, well, I, I actually you, you kind of segmented it perfect there when you mentioned the draft. Um, I know there's a guy that you and I talked very briefly about this weekend. Uh, while I like Arian Foster, I, I don't have full faith in his health. Uh, one guy that I'd actually like to see Miami really kick the tires on who's coming off a few injuries. It would be in the NFL draft. And Devin Johnson's a guy that's really caught my eye. Running back out of Marshall. He was a converted tight end, converted his junior year, averaged 8.6 yards per carry. Uh, looked absolutely impressive. Fights for yards. There were moments watching him as a junior where I, I look back to almost a more athletic Larry Zonkin in the backfield, which if you paired that with J.H.I., uh, even though he had some injuries his senior year, He's a guy that's still learning to be a running back, but runs with power, has a little more speed than you'd expect given his size, and, and really just fights for every yard, moves the pile. And, and you put those two guys in there, especially given the fact that third and one is a down that Miami has struggled with since Lusaka Polite left the team a few years back. And suddenly you've got 
a pretty dynamic offense, especially given the weapons that Tannehill has a wide receiver. And he's a guy that you can steal in the fourth or fifth round. I'm writing that down. More at Devin Johnson, more athletic Larry Zonka. Got it. Mm-hmm. No, uh, yep. Go, go right ahead and <laughs> no, no, that. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, it, it, you know, there, there is – an incredible amount of depth at the running back position in this draft. And we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, with CK uh, over the upcoming weeks. I mean, really, it's kind of pick your flavor in those late rounds. You know, Devin Johnson's an interesting guy, powerful. Uh, I'm a little uh, intrigued as well why he's flying under the Raiders. 6'1", 237 pounds, runs a 4'6". Um, there's got to be something missing with this guy. But, uh, you, you know, you're talking about – when you talk about – in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, there's going to be a lot of players uh, available down there. One, one guy I love is uh, Daniel Lasco, the running back from California. Uh, looks a lot like he looks like a bigger uh, Danny Woodhead. Uh, six foot, 210 pounds, catches the ball well. Ran a 4.45 at 23 bench reps. Was actually besides Keith Marshall from Georgia was the most at the combine. Uh, you know, I always say with players like him, when you look at it, it looks like he gets it when he's on the field. You've also got, believe it or not, and this is, I think, my first, holy crap, I'm getting older moment, is Fred Taylor's son is actually going to be in this NFL draft. Kelvin Taylor out of Florida, 5'10", 207 pounds. Uh, doesn't jump off the page athletically in any specific area, but Man, oh, man, uh, it really does look the part. And so I think when you start looking down in the fourth or sixth rounds of the NFL draft, maybe the Dolphins can can get a, a big-time bargain uh, in those rounds. And if you if you draft a running back in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, we've seen it with Lamar Miller, seen it with Jay Ajayi, you're not paying the guy very much for the first couple of years. Yeah, and you can, you can bring these guys in. And like you said with Fred Taylor's kid there, he, he's another one that's impressive. I just really, really get stuck on this Rockhead Johnson guy. Uh, just there are so many steals you can have in late rounds. And, and we've all seen over the past several years, these late round picks that come in at running back and just kick ass. And everyone looks at him and goes, wait, how did they get him that late? But the running back position, other than, you know, one or two guys per year, you, you don't see many go before round three or four now because everybody's going with that running back by committee. Uh, it's very rare to have a featured back anymore. And, you know what, It's if that's a position Miami can steal late, I'd rather they do that and focus on some of their other needs in the early rounds. So I'm yeah, with you 100% on that. Right right there with you. If the Dolphins can, can go best player available in, say, the third and fourth round, and then, or excuse me, the second and third round, and then get down to the fourth round, and you still see a player there that you like, you know, you can take him and, and pair him uh, with Jay Ajayi and, and potentially Damian Williams in the backfield. You know, every mock draft that I, I tend to see has Ezekiel Elliott in the first round, Derrick Henry in the second, and then you've got a log jam, you know, in that third, fourth round area with guys like Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana Tech, Alex Collins from Arkansas, Paul Perkins from UCLA, C.J. Procise from Notre Dame, Devontae Booker from Utah, and, you know, we're not even getting into the Daniel Lascos and the Kelvin Taylors and uh, the Devin Johnsons yet. So there's a lot of depth. You know, it kind of reminds me of 2013 when Mike Gillisley unexpectedly fell to the end of the fifth round. Um, you know, I didn't expect Gillisley to be there. Wasn't a great player with us, but then he goes to Buffalo and looks like he's going to make it somewhere in the NFL. So uh, there is some incredible value at that running back spot. And speaking of uh, the running back position is one of our needs, I'm sure, that we have on our board. Before we get to that, the Dolphins re-signed today Spencer Paysinger, 
to a, I believe it was a one-year contract. Uh, this is uh, pretty much right off the press uh, here, and actually no details of this have been announced. So, Paul, your initial thought on this, uh, re-signing of Spencer Pacinger, is this a little bit of a surprise for you? It is a little bit of a surprise. I, I mean, I, I'm going to wait until I see the dollar amounts and see how much is guaranteed because he's a guy that essentially we know what his upside is and it's not very high outside of being a special teams contributor. I, I really like the upside more of some of those undrafted guys and stuck with the team in, in um, Zach Vigil, in Neville Hewitt, and in um, Mike Hall, uh, which I believe he's, he's back on the practice squad at this point. But those are three guys that I like their upside a hell of a lot more than I like Spencer Paysinger's upside. Uh, the only thing I will give him credit for over what's potentially the starting three linebackers at this point is he doesn't seem to have much of an injury history, which we all know Jelani Jenkins, Colomisi, and uh, uh, Kiko Alonso have, have quite a bit of the injury bug, which, which scares me, and I'm sure we'll be talking about those when we talk about our needs here shortly. Right, and you know when I look at this spot, when I look at or when I look at this resigning, yeah, you do really have your your three starting linebackers in place: Jelani Jenkins, Kiko, and and Koemisi. As you alluded to, they get hurt quite often. Jenkins missed a few games last year. Alonzo uh, had a partially torn ACL last year. Before that, he missed the, the entire season. And uh, Koemisi, it seems like he's always missing two, three games a year. And if not that, he's he's going off the field early. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with this re-signing. I think it adds to the competition. I don't expect it to be for much. It's probably going to be a one-year deal where little if nothing is guaranteed. And from that point, it, it I don't think it'll mess up whether or not the Dolphins draft a linebacker. I think if they were going to draft a linebacker before re-signing Paysinger, they're still going to do it now. So it adds to the competition. I look for Paysinger to compete with – uh, for roster spots with Zach Vigil, Chris McCann, and Mike Hall, like you alluded to. Also re-signed James Michael Johnson, who was added to the team a little bit later in the year, and Terrell Manning, um, a former fifth-round pick of the Green Bay Packers. So there's a little bit of competition at that linebacker spot. Quite interesting as, as we continue uh, to go along. So, Paul, before we get CK on at half past the hour, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we think are the top five needs for the Miami Dolphins heading in to this 2016 NFL draft if the roster were to remain as it is today. So let's start with that top five list, starting at the bottom. Paul, what is your fifth need for the Dolphins in terms of where they are today? For me right now, it would be a solid number three wide receiver, um, which may sound a little goofy to folks, uh, but I like Matt Hazel's upside. Uh, I like Kenny Stills as a change of pace out there uh, when they go to a four set. Um, or occasionally when, when they've got three out there. But they really need somebody solid that I, I expected Richard Matthews to fill uh, com- coming into this year, especially given the rapport he had built with Ryan Tannehill. But uh, they they definitely need to expand that wide receiver core ever so slightly at this point. I'm actually right there with you. That That's what I had number five as well. The it, When you look at receiver, yeah, they, they added – Griff Whalen, which is, you know, really a training camp body, might make the team, maybe, maybe not. Uh, your top three guys are Kenny or Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, and then after that you've got Matt Hazel, Griff Whalen, but you are a little bit thin at that position, and also Kenny Stills is – this is really a make-or-break year for him. If, if he shows – 
you know, the lack of focus, the lack of concentration that he did last year. He's probably going to be off the team uh, in 2017. And when you look at that, the Dolphins have a, a, a little bit of a need there because at that third, the third receiver position in today's NFL has replaced that fullback position. So a third receiver legitimately is uh, a starting player uh, on an NFL depth chart. So let's, uh, let's move on to the fourth need, Paul. This, this one's probably not going to be popular, uh, but I know they re-signed Jordan Cameron. I know Deion Sims showed some signs of emergence and, Jake Stoneburner kind of did some stuff at times. Um, I know I've talked about it all offseason and during the season. Jordan Cameron's a guy that I'm going into this season leery of. Uh, I was excited for him last year, uh, watching him struggle to catch the ball, even when it's right in his hands, struggle to run the right routes. I'm hoping Gase is able to fix that in this offense um, and, and work, work with him and that he does prove that this past year was a fluke. But when you look at the tight end depth, there's a lot of question marks. Um, and that scares me a little bit. There's some talent that can be added in the mid to late rounds of the draft. I don't see much out there on the market right now that they could bring in. But tight end is a position that scares me a little bit going into the season. Yeah, very interesting with that tight end spot because you're right. I, I've always thought a little more of Jordan Cameron than you, but the reality is if Cameron – and Deion Sims don't take that next step forward. The Dolphins are going to be looking for a tight end in a big way uh, after the season too. And what better way to do that than to maybe take a look at a Hunter Henry or something um, in the second or third round, Uh, a player in that tight end spot. We have a couple of other guys there, you know, Jarrell Adams from South Carolina, other players we'll talk about in the upcoming weeks. My fourth need is actually left tackle. It's not a need as far as this year, but I've got news for everybody. Brandon Albert's going to be 32 in November, and I have very small hopes. I I do not have high hopes whatsoever that Brandon Albert is going to play two strong, sturdy Pro Bowl seasons with the Miami Dolphins at 32 and 33 years old. And, you know, the same people that are saying that left tackle is not a need for the Dolphins this year – uh, are the same ones that I feel are going to be the ones complaining next year when we don't have somebody to protect the quarterback. Yeah, and and I know we talked actually if we rewind all the way back to last off season about a, a few of the offensive guard prospects for last year that we essentially viewed as guys that would come in as an offensive guard and solidify that hole for now, but with an eye towards them being potentially the left tackle of the future once they got a little bit of seasoning, which is why we talked about guys like Eric Flowers and a few others last year. Because, like like you said, Brandon Albert's getting older. And on top of that, he's got some injury history there. So between the two, it could be a need a lot sooner. And I actually like that being on your list. Yeah, and when you look at – there is some depth here at the offensive tackle position, specifically left tackle in the NFL draft, too. If the Dolphins can find themselves in a position to take one in the third or fourth round, one guy I'd love in the third round is Sean Coleman, um, someone who really overcame a lot of of physical problems uh, this this past year. And 6'6", 3'12", I think the biggest knock on him is he – you know, he's not the most athletic guy, but – very proactive blocker, long arms, and I, I think he sets his feet well, too. I'm not looking for upside at left tackle. I'm looking for somebody who's going to do his job. Yeah, and, and I know we're going to be getting into it further with CK uh, when, when we have him on here in about 15 minutes. 
but one of the things actually I have in my notes for a few of the guys that we're looking at as potential guards in this, in this draft are a couple of the guys seem like they could potentially grow into that left tackle role um, after a season or two uh, with, with a little bit more experience, a little more power. <clears throat> so they could actually be that answer if Miami were so inclined to potentially look at an offensive guard in this year's draft, which I'm going to – Hold my hands up right now and, and wait and see if they do or not, which I'm hoping they do. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how the board unfolds. So, uh, Paul, you've got wide receiver as your fifth need, tight end as your fourth. How about number three? Number three is just O-line help with an exclamation point for me, to be honest with you. Um, I, I am a little leery of the guard position, even though Adam Gates essentially uh, came out and said that according to Amanda Salguera, um, they just needed to get stronger in the weight room uh, to, to really improve the play of Billy Turner and Dallas Thomas at offensive guard. Um, I know they brought a little bit of help, um, but I worry about that. And then one of the big things that was illustrated with a huge exclamation point last season was if Brandon Albert and Jawan James go down, it, it, it's an absolute joke behind them. At tackle, um, I mean, we had Fox right. last year. Uh, it, it's just they need some depth, uh, regardless of whether it's the eventual left tackle replacement. They need depth at, at offensive tackle. Um, Brandon Albert mm-hmm. does not have the best injury history, and Juwan James he missed some time with a toe injury last year. I hope it's not anything that extends into this season. Yeah, and when you in a perfect world, when you look at the offensive line, Brandon Albert and Jawan James stay healthy, and Jermon Bushrod steps in at left guard. The transition is seamless, and everything goes well. And then Billy Turner improves at right guard, and you got Pouncey at center. But man, oh man, uh, it's it's tough because there it's pretty thin there, and there's a lot of what ifs in that statement right there. Again, hate to harp on it, but it's it's a reason why even though it would have cost the Dolphins a compensation pick next year, and it would have cost a lot of money, I, I thought this was a position they absolutely needed to nail down this year. And, and here's why I say that specifically is because we're heading into our fifth year with Ryan Tannehill. The Dolphins are, and we I'll tell you I'll tell you straight up I'm fifty fifty on the guy and. I don't want to sit here at the end of the year and that we're going into our sixth season and we're saying, well, man, only if only the guy had an offensive line, then we'd be okay. Well, I would love to be able to take care of this offensive line and this running game once and for all. So we're not saying this and that at the end of the year, we need to find out about Ryan Tannehill. It's the most important thing for the franchise. Yeah. And, and one other thing, actually, you mentioned Pouncey and I neglected to talk about this. Pouncey hasn't shown, uh, the best injury history either. I love him. I right. uh, he's fantastic. And one of the big things that, that really showed up last season was, you know, they threw Jameel Douglas in there at, at center, which he had never played in the game. And it was absolutely catastrophic in that Jets game, but he was the only option that they had. I mean, you have to go into the season with somebody else that can snap the damn ball to Tannehill. I mean, if, if they've got Jameel Douglas as their backup plan, I hope to hell the offensive line coaches are working with him all off season on, on snapping the ball as well, it, because they didn't have an answer when Pouncey went down, and, and they didn't even see it as a priority to, to bring some someone in to be that answer. Uh, 
which was was absolutely shocking because I don't know if you watched the same games I did, but when Jameel Douglas snapped the ball, it was one of the worst things I saw on the offensive line, including the play of Jason Fox. Yeah, right, exactly. And Jameel Douglas had some just catastrophic games at both center and guard. Uh, I'm glad he pulled it together in the final game against New England. I really thought in that game he snapped the ball well and and actually started to look like a football player. And I think physically that the guy does have some ability on the interior of the offensive line, even though he played terribly last year because of the lack of experience. But, yeah, you really can't count on that, on him being your backup center uh, and, and for him to do a complete 180. It's it's going to take some strong coaching, and may, maybe Adam Gase provides that. But to me, the better situation would be if – you you can get if you can get a guard here in the in the fourth fifth sixth round, um, then what you do is you have your backup center who actually can snap a football, and then you put Jamil Douglas back at that guard competition, uh, potentially at left guard. Uh, you know it, it'll be interesting because I I think the Dolphins number one should have taken care of this guard spot already. There are some players available in the draft in really all throughout the draft that we're going to talk about with CK here in about ten minutes. And they could take one in any. I could see them not taking a guard, period, and saying, you know what, we've got we we think Jermon Busher out at left guard and Craig Urbic at right guard, even if yeah, they're going to provide the competition with Jameel Douglas and with Billy Turner, and we feel that Jameel Douglas and Billy Turner are players who just need some refinement, need some development, but I, I think it's better to go to with with strength and numbers here and draft a guard somewhere in rounds two through four. Very, very interesting stuff. Give us a call at 714-333-3302. We're going to be joined by Chris Kaufman in about 10 minutes to discuss the offensive guard position and potentially other spots here as we gear up for the NFL draft. So, Paul, you've got wide receiver fifth, tight end fourth, offensive line third. What about number two? I, I, you know what? Actually, before before I get to you, I'm not playing good host here. My third position uh, is actually going to be is going to be the running back spot. Um, I, I do have two bigger needs ahead of them, but running back position is of dire need. I, I put him a little further down because I think it's a little bit easier to find a running back than it is my top two needs. But yeah, the, the running back position is definitely one that needs to be addressed either through what's left in free agency or with the NFL draft. So, Paul, uh, your number your number two need. Um, I'm glad you said running back because it, it is one that, that I wanted to put on this list, but I'm hoping does get addressed, even though it is a big, a big need for these guys. I probably could have slipped it in, uh, and, and slid one of these out, but I, I had to put corner on there. Um, I like Bobby McCain. I like Jamar Taylor. I like Tony Lippett. Um, I think Byron Maxwell is going to cement himself, especially given what Gase said last week in terms of how he plans to utilize Maxwell in this defense. But, there are a lot of question marks at corner right now. Um, a lot of unanswered things when it comes to the cornerback position we'll go with. Uh, and given the departure of Brent Grimes, uh, whether it was Miko related, whether it was Brent related, whatever, uh, it does leave a big gaping hole uh, on that side of the defense. It needs to be filled. And, and while a few of these guys have shown they can play capably in the nickel position, we haven't seen enough to know that we've got anybody dependable on the, on the outside um, to pair with Byron Maxwell. And they solidified the safety position. That corner position right now remains a big question mark on any depth chart, regardless of what the Dolphins put out. If they put anything out with any name in there, it's, it's a blatant lie. I, I don't think they know who. 
Yeah, and going back to something we talked about at the guard spot is, uh, hey, we just need to get these guys in the weight room. Hey, if you want to say that with Mike Pouncey and Billy Turner and Jameel Douglas and, and the rest of the offensive line, that's fine. But I remember Dallas Thomas in 2014 coming out just ripped, and uh, Joe Philbin raving about him all summer. And then you, you put him in, and he's the same you know, steaming pile of crap that he was when he couldn't even dress as a rookie. And, he, and he's remained that player, too. I think Dallas Thomas is the one in trouble here because if he makes the team, you got to pay him $1.7 million. And I don't think he's worth even half that. So uh, I would like to see if the Dolphins – I'd like to see somebody added to this competition of, of Bushrod versus Jameel Douglas at left guard, if that is the competition, and at right guard, Billy Turner against Craig Urbic. I actually think Billy Turner can be a good player. I, I saw some games out of him last year that I thought were really good. I saw some that I thought were really bad, but at least I saw some bite and some physical ability out of this kid. And, and I, I tend to think that with better coaching uh, and not being just thrown to, thrown in there in week six when he's not even getting reps up until that point that uh, he, he could have that opportunity. But depth is an issue. Left guard is an issue. Future left tackle is an issue. Backup center is an issue. Uh, a lot of moving parts there on the, along the offensive line. Um, so uh, speaking of that, guard is my number two need. Uh, so I've got wide receiver fifth left tackle fourth, running back third, guard second. And I'll take this um, this last one here. My number one is cornerback, the cornerback position. I think it's uh, a very, very big need. Uh, the Dolphins got Byron Maxwell in the offseason to swap out for, for Brent Grimes. But that other cornerback spot, man, if you had told me at this point, Jamar Taylor, who I'm actually, we're actually higher on than other people are, and we think he this kid still has some potential. Uh, if you had told me that, you know, he'd be our number two cornerback right now today on March 29th. I'd say, man, oh, man, you're crazy. And we need to draft a cornerback at that point. Um, and a couple of things bother me about this. Number one, it's not like at, the, at, at other positions where, hey, if you've got your starters in place, now you're just looking for depth guys. At the cornerback spot, you, you're not just, you, just, you don't just have two guys. You have your third cornerback plays – basically two out of every three downs. And your fourth cornerback is probably going to play one out of every three downs throughout the game. So even if the Dolphins nail their top four cornerbacks, as they, as they sit today with Maxwell, Lippitt, Jamar Taylor, and Bobby McCain in no particular order, then you still need to hit on all four of those players for you not to have a liability in your secondary. So a cornerback with the, with the, at number 13, I think that's a huge consideration. I'll even go a step further with that and say this, that I feel that the reason why the Dolphins were okay, just a hunch, falling from 8 to 13, is they said to themselves, you know what? There are at least four or five cornerbacks in this draft that we like, from Jalen Ramsey, who won't be there, Vernon Hargreaves, probably not, but has a chance, and then you've got Eli Apple from Ohio State, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson and uh, creeping up there is Will Jackson from Houston. Uh, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins thought to themselves, hey, out of these five, one of them has just about a 100% chance to be there at number 13. And I, I think that was the Dolphins' strategy, and I don't think it's a good strategy. I, I think they had the same strategy in 2014 when they went very light. Uh, or actually, I'll take that back, completely ignored the right tackle position uh, in free agency. And then they get back to the NFL draft in 19 and they say, you know what, we're comfortable taking whoever's there at 19. I don't think so because at that point now you're not drafting the best player available when it gets to your spot. Yeah. And, and 
you actually outlined exactly why when I was flirting with number two and number one on my list, uh, I, I actually moved cornerback to number two. I, I do think with how deep the cornerback position is, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see the Dolphins double down uh, throughout the draft, that corner, because I do think the draft is deep enough at corner that they could potentially find somebody starting caliber, even if they don't go in the first round, um, and potentially even later. Um, so that's what would actually, for me, move, move the corner position to number two and, and really put the linebacker position at number one. Talent-wise, the Dolphins do have some pretty good linebackers. Comisi is very solid, uh, if not spectacular, when he makes it through a game. Um, Jelani Jenkins, when healthy, is one of the best pass-coverage linebackers in the game and started to solidify himself a little more against the run last season at times. And then Kiko Alonso was a very special talent when healthy. Whether he regains that form or not, um, we don't know. And they have some promising young guys that definitely need some seasoning that we talked about a little bit earlier. But every position, uh, whether it be depth on the depth chart or starter, has some form of a question mark next to it, uh, whether it's a health concern, whether it's an experience concern, you name it. Um, and, and for me, you've got three guys at linebacker, all of whom have a question mark. Everybody behind them has a question mark. And that's not how you build the damn good defense at this point. I mean, you've got most of your back end solidified. You've got most of your front end solidified. And then you've got a bunch of schmutz in the middle. And I don't know how you go into a season. Right. Yeah, and I I would say that I completely agree with you. And my big thing has always been that if if you I, I the Dolphins are going to draft a cornerback or add a cornerback or two. My guess is two, maybe even three, somewhere along the way uh, here to to add to that competition. My big thing about this is, uh, are you going to go four for four? at that cornerback spot with Maxwell, Jamar Taylor, Tony Lippett, Bobby McCain, three of the four who couldn't play a lick last year when, when you depended on Lippett showed some promise late, but McCain and Taylor at certain points should not have even been on the field. The good thing is that Vance Joseph does have a lot of experience in Cincinnati with coaching these cornerbacks up, you know, Adam Jones, Terrence Newman, Leon Hall, uh, Dre Fitzpatrick, uh, these guys uh, turned into a very, very good unit, even though they didn't look like it at the beginning of Vance uh, of their tenure when they were, before they were working with Vance Joseph. So, very, very interesting. But I'm with you, Paul. That I, I think it's better to go with strength and numbers um, uh, right here uh, at, at that cornerback spot. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I actually want to say about it as well is, I do think either Vance Joseph looked at what the Dolphins have and said, you know what, we're we're good, I can work with this. Or the Dolphins, um, whether it's Vance Joseph, Adam Gaze, and Chris Greer, sat down with Mike Tannenbaum at center and said, okay, uh, very good with Byron Maxwell on this side. I, you know, there, there's these three guys in the draft, we have to get one of these guys, period. Um, because I can't see, even with the Miko distractions, um, the Dolphins going, eh, you know what? We're just going to jettison Brett Grimes with no plan of action here. Uh, I can't see them not ponying up for some of the, guy, the guys out there in free agency because, let's face it, other than one or two guys, 
they didn't take more than a cursory look at most of the corners that were out there in the market. So there must be something that they haven't shared with us, which rightly so, um, either in the NFL draft or on the current roster today with the quarterback position that, that they're looking at as being the answer. Uh, I just don't know what the hell it is at this point. Yeah, and they're really going with that youth. And, you know, it's it's playing Russian roulette because those four cornerbacks have to be good and have to uh, also stay healthy throughout the season. So one one last thing, Paul, and, and you may have touched on it. What What is your number one need? Actually, Paul is uh, getting C.K. Parrott on the line, so we'll go ahead and get that after we're joined by him. So taking a look here in what we're going to discuss with C.K. Parrott, joining us in a couple of minutes is the offensive guard spot, that position that, that a lot of Dolphins fans, myself included, felt was neglected uh, here in the offseason. And uh, if the Dolphins do have an opportunity, if they take it, here in the second or third round of the NFL draft, uh, you you wouldn't think that it would be earlier than that in the first round. Uh, a lot of interesting players on the board. C.K. Parrott joining us here on the fence side. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, just under a month until the NFL draft, so we're starting to take a deeper dive into the Dolphins' need positions, starting with that guard spot. So, you know, it, it seems like everybody and their mother has Cody Whitehair as that top-rated offensive guard with uh, Joshua Garnett uh, and, and Christian Westerman somewhere battling for that second and third spot. So, CK, taking a look at, at your board and, and what you think is best for the Miami Dolphins, uh, who do you think would be the best fit uh, for the Dolphins regardless of the round? Well, I think that um... – Based on what they did in free agency, or at least who they went after, it seems like they want to go after somebody who's a little bit mobile. Um, so they're going to be looking at some pretty good athletes. I mean, we're talking about J.R. Sweezy, and uh, they ended up going with German Bushrod. And uh, I think that they understand that German is probably you know, a one-year rental, um, or at least he, he might possibly be a one-year rental. So you're going to have to look at some guys that have movement abilities. Um, you know, I think Christian Westerman is a good name. It's a good combination with him of, uh, of frame and movement ability, really. Um, and he was a very high recruit coming out of high school, and, um, and I think that he's, he's kind of a good, uh, a good NFL-type prospect there. You're probably not. I mean, if they're, if they're going to be thematic that way, then you're probably not looking at uh, the guys who basically flunked to the combine, like uh, Vidal Alexander or Landon Turner. Now, there are things to like about both guys. I actually like them both. Um, but, you know, both of them did not do so well at the combine. They are not known as movement guys. Vidal Alexander, you know, kind of a, a tackle guard combination player and really, really good hands um, on him. But that's that's about that's about it because he doesn't move very well. Landon Turner, on the other hand, you know, he's always been that that huge offensive lineman, and I think that uh, he embraced that that role of being the big, strong, big, ugly guy uh, on that offensive line. And you could see on his tape, you know, his body looked kind of sloppy um, because I think he just kind of let himself go and really, uh, you know, embraced the idea of being you know 350 pounds or something like that. He showed up. I think it was 330 something at the uh, the combine, but um, I, I'd be willing to bet he lost a little weight to get down there. 
Um, I'm not sure that the Dolphins are going to go after guys like that, and you can even include Josh Garnett in that uh, in that conversation um, because the the guys that they seem to want in free agency were a little bit more mobile than that. So, you know, if it could be that they're, everything is on the board, that they'll, they'll accept all types and then they'll, they'll just adapt the offense to whatever they have. But um, I'm gonna, I, I got a feeling that they're not going to go that way as far as those guys that are, that are big uglies. I can't tell you who the absolute best fit is because, you know, you're going to have ratings and you're going to have rankings in these guys. Um, but a guy that I hope that they take a look at, depending on where he falls to, would be LaRaven Clark of uh, Texas Tech. Because this is a guy that played left tackle, um, a little bit hard to evaluate. He and uh, uh, Joe Dahl of Washington State are, are similar this way, but they both played in that that wide split offensive line setup where you know the offensive uh, tackles and guards and and center had a lot of space uh, to their left and right, and um, and this is this is classic like air raid uh, offensive line splits. That makes a very tough evaluation when it comes to translating to the NFL because there's so much of what happens in that kind of uh, that kind of setup that it doesn't really translate that well to what you're going to find in the NFL where things happen a little bit more quickly and the spaces are a little bit tighter and the splits are a little bit tighter. So it's hard to get a to you know really get a feel for. It. I know Raven Clark, for instance, gets. Um, gets criticized because he did let up some pressures and he did uh, get beat some. But with the wide offensive line splits, it's almost like you're going one-on-one in pit drills and practice. Uh, and I've been at enough pit drills and practice to know that the defensive line has a massive advantage in those drills. And, um, and you know, the offensive setup is almost uh, is almost made to – allow the quarterback to get pressured and, and uh, just create a lot of space so that he can do something back there, either running around or, uh, or have just enough time to find a short receiver. So, uh, you know, LaRaven Clark, though, if you look at his body, his uh, frame, his size, his power, his speed, agility, I mean, it's like looking at Brandon Brooks all over again. Uh, and Brandon Brooks was one of my favorite guys coming out um, a couple of years back, and he was a free agent this year, and he got, I believe, $8 million a year. So LaRaven Clark would be a good look uh, to move inside to guard, uh, but he might be good enough to stay out at left tackle. But I hope the Dolphins do look at him. You could start looking at him at 42 overall. You could also look at him uh, if he if he fell to your third-round pick, then that would, that would certainly look like a good third-round pick. Now, th- that's interesting with LaRaven Clark because I have heard that he's being looked at as an offensive guard. What really sticks out is the guy has a wingspan of, of thirty of over 36 inches, which is massive and really offensive tackle-like. Um, and, and when I looked at him, I thought he was built a little bit thin. But then again, to your point, you know, they're looking for guys who are a little bit more on the move. Um, so you're thinking that his future in the NFL, especially for a team like the Dolphins, would be inside a guard, not as a future, for example, left tackle that could supplant Brandon Albert in a year or two. Well, we could we could see about that. I mean, it's a lot like um, you could think of it as a little bit like Billy Turner. You know, one day if Billy Turner had stayed at left guard and then Brandon Albert had retired one day, you could see a look uh, from Billy Turner at left tackle or uh, or maybe right tackle or something like that. So 
I think that you're looking you're looking at the same variability in a uh, LaRaven Clark. And the guy is just a beast. He has he has this uh, enormous uh, strength and and power ability, and also you know the way he moves. I mean, it, it, it's a little. It's a little unfair, I think, to judge him in some of the tape when he's got nobody to his inside, nobody to his outside, you know, all this space. He's got a bunch of runway before a defensive lineman is is able to make contact with him. So they're getting into second gear before they even make contact. And meanwhile, he's backpedaling, you know, to try and absorb the hit. And those, that system just really makes a tough evaluation, in my opinion, or, you know, in my experience anyway. Um, so I, I, I look at them, I look at the core skills. You really have to uh, convince yourself that you're seeing the core skills and the core abilities that make a good offensive lineman. And, and with LaRaven Clark, I, I think I see it. But I mentioned some other guys, uh, you know, Joe Dahl, is another guy that um, that has the same, you know, kind of knock based on a system coming from. But you know, he reminds me so much, actually, of Mark Dixon. You probably remember Mark Dixon from back in oh, 2000. Oh, yeah, 63. 1998, 2002, 2003. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Mark, he reminds me a lot of Mark Dixon. He's He played left tackle at Washington State, but uh, he he's definitely built like a guard. He moves like a guard. He plays like a guard. You're looking at great hands with him. He he keeps his elbows tucked, pointed down, uh, and he keeps his uh, his hands inside the frame of the defender's frame. And when he locks on, it's uncanny. When he locks his hands on, you're not getting by him. You're not getting by his hands. Uh, you're not going to be able to slap him away and, and go around the outside. Now you can bowl him a little bit, and I think part of it has to do with an offensive line split. And part of it has to do with the fact that he's probably not a left tackle at the next level. But you get him inside at uh, at guard, I think that you might really have something with him. I think the Dolphins like him. And there's another guy, one more guy I want to mention, and that's uh, that's going to be Max Turk. I think I think you pronounce it Turk, and that's USC. He's a center at USC, but he's played all five positions of the offensive line. He certainly practiced all five positions on the offensive line. I look at him on film. I'm reminded a little bit of Austin Ryder, who was a back, who was a center uh, last year that I liked, and I got to watch up close at USF. Nobody thought he was draftable. Then the Redskins did draft him in the seventh round. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Austin Ryder, but he also reminds me, you know, quite quite frankly, and this is an odd comparison, but he reminds me a lot of Cody Whitehair. And I think that if Cody Whitehair, you know, had played center at Kansas State, which he probably could, because let's be honest, he's a He's a very dependable, durable, and uh, and savvy veteran. Um, but if Cody Whitehair had played center at USC that, or at uh, Kansas State, then he would be a Max Turk. Uh, Max Turk, you know, he, he's a guy that moves his feet really well. His bend is really good. His um, he's got a straight. He plays with a straight back, you know, and his hands are exceptional. That's the the thing that I noticed first is whether their hands when you're playing on the inside you're playing at center you know you move from tackle to guard and the, the action happens quicker well you move from guard to center and the, the action ha- happens even quicker than that because you've got to snap the ball first and so you're always at a disadvantage with your hands so you got to really right. develop some good hands and that's why like a graham glasgow uh from michigan is uh, is being looked at as a possibility of moving from center to guard because he's got quick hands that he had to develop at center and going back to turk you know he's got that he's got you know these near 11 inch hands and when he gets his hands on you 
I mean, it's it, it, it's pretty good. And uh, and so you're looking at him. He's 300 pounds, six foot five. He might even play some tackle. He can play all five positions. Be a backup, maybe be a starter. And uh, and I've I've spoken to a teammate of his at USC, and um, and you know he's just. He's A-plus off the field as far as dependability and coachability and doing everything that the coaches want and always being a guy that they can depend on. So I think that uh, Turk, Joe Dahl, those are kind of guys in the in the later round areas that Miami will be looking at. Uh, and then up the top, you know, I kind of like – I've taken a shine to LaRaven Clark. Now, Max Turk, uh, what is the latest on his injury? I know that that really plays in here to uh, to where he's projected in the NFL draft. Is this a player that you anticipate being ready for the start of training camp? I don't know about the start of training camp. He did tear his ACL last year, and so he's he's more of a long-term guy. Um, I have not heard uh, – what I'll say is I haven't heard bad things about his uh, his injury about, you know, nerve damage or anything like that. Uh, so I think it is just a, a pretty straightforward ACL tear. Um, he is going to be kind of iffy in next year, but I think the Dolphins don't necessarily need a starting guard next year because I think that German Bushrod can man the left guard position. I think they have that in mind. And I think that uh, Billy Turner can man the right guard position. When you have all those guys, when you have Juwan James and Brandon Albert and Mike Pouncey healthy, and then you have German Bushrod in at left guard and Billy Turner in at right guard, I really envision a good offensive line. But we do know that depth has been a problem because some of these guys have ended up injured. And so you need, you need to look at some guys that can function as depth this year and that could possibly take over as a starter by next year because, you know, Bushrod is probably a rental. Um, so I, I think that, you know, a guy like Turk is it fits that way. And they could start looking at him. Probably, it probably wouldn't be until the seventh round uh, because of the ACL, but it's still a guy that they could definitely look at. Very so, interesting. And yeah, when Go ahead, go ahead Paul. So, CK, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I, I know we've talked a little bit about the possibility for, for this season, but the fact that they do need to get better as the next couple of years progress. Um, when, when I looked at a lot of these offensive guard pro- prospects, it seems like the best ones out there were really projects. I mean, what, what's your feel on that? I mean, it just feels like more and more every year the offensive guard position is more and more project-based with, with the players than, than it has been in the past. Well, I think every year you look at it, um, and the average, uh, the last time I really did a study on it, the average of guys that came out as offensive guards, you know, that were real offensive guards in college, and that go ahead and become offensive guards, starting guards in the NFL, it's something something ridiculous, like only two to four of them a year. Um, And that's because it's a position that, you know, if you were really good in college, you were probably playing tackle. Um, so, you know, that's, that could be what you're sensing a little bit. Uh, and in terms of being a project, um, I think you're probably referring to guys that are moving from tackle to guard, or maybe even from center to guard, like, uh, like Graham Glasgow, uh, for instance, um, that's probably what you're, what you're sensing a little bit. There's, there's usually the number of guys that come in that, you know, were guards in college, well-practiced, and then come into the NFL and, and be a guard, uh, it's usually some kind of special situation or some somebody that really has to develop 
over time uh, and remake their body and get a lot stronger. So uh, that's that's the caveat really to keep in mind when we're talking about these guard positions, uh, period. But, you know, some of these guys that we're talking about, we are talking about guys that have played tackle before or have played other positions um, you know, and another guy that I, I failed to mention, but I, I also got two, actually two more guys I failed to mention, but I also like that way. Both left tackles are Joe Thune and, uh, and Parker Anger. Uh, Joe Thune being from North Carolina State and Parker Anger coming from uh, Cincinnati. That was another couple of guys that they did play tackle at the last, uh, at the college level, but they're going to have to move inside um, to guard. Thune's actually played there before, but he was forced to play tackle left tackle this year because he was the best guy and you both of you touch on a lot of good points because it seems like that you you do have a split at this guard spot where you have the players who may be a little bit more day one ready but really hurt themselves at the combine for i look I look at both of the guard guards from arkansas uh sebastian tritola and, and denver kirkland uh two players who you know at one point were projected mid-rounders but it seems like they keep falling more because they look more of like those plugging guards who are going to struggle with those interior offensive linemen so there's a lot of different ways that the dolphins can go along this guard spot i i think the, the Landon Turner going back to him he, he had a he leapt at the combine something around 88 which is i mean you, you could roll out of bed drunk and, and and jump that much criminy um Connor McGovern is another player out of Mizzou you know I'm a a Mizzou fan I, I have my girlfriend and I have a, have season tickets there he's somebody who seems to be crawling up the board a little bit maybe a little bit more day one ready but uh I don't think he quite plays to that strength that he showed at at, uh, at the combine, 33 bench press reps. And, you know, the Dolphins along at the guard position have a major task because you do play to beat your division. And you look at the Jets and the Bills' uh, defensive tackles. you got Mo Wilkerson and, and um, uh, Leonard Williams and – uh, Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams, you have you have a huge responsibility at that guard spot. So, um, Chris, looking at uh, uh, continuing to look at the guard spot, you know, a few guys that we mentioned uh, we haven't mentioned as well as Spencer Durango from Baylor. Those Bang- Baylor players tend to um, have a little bit more of a, a problem acclimating themselves to the NFL game. It's not not a very complicated, or it's, or it's a very simple offense, and, and Durango kind of looks like a like a plugging player as well. So, who else jumps off the page at you? Um, well, anyone. I think that I think I think that you know we we went over most of the guys that do. I think that getting back to Thune and the reason that I like him is I did a lot of uh, tape study on him, and he always looks kind of small on tape. I, and this could be a function of him being next to really big guys on North Carolina State because he didn't measure small by any means. Um, but uh, but he always looks kind of small. You're always waiting for him to get kind of blown up uh, by somebody that's big and strong and, you know, some 300 plus pounder that just, uh, that just blows him up because, you know, he's the small guy, but it never happens. It really never happens. Probably with one exception, which I saw in 2014 when he went up against uh, Shelton Rankins, who he mostly beat throughout the entire game. I mean, he mostly handled Shelton Rankins, to be honest. Uh, but on one particular play, Rankins really got him. It was a run play. It was to the left, and you know he tried to pull out, and Rankins just tossed him to the carpet like he was, uh, you know, like he was a doll. And um, so, 
that, but otherwise that really never happened. And Thune played left tackle this year. So you look at the, the list of people that he went against. I mean, you're seeing him go against, and this is kind of how I got turned on to him in the first place was I'm watching uh, Clemson go against North Carolina state. And then I'm, you know, I'm watching Shaq Lawson go against him. And I'm watching uh, Noah Spence tape. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, and, well, here's a North Carolina state tape. And so now I'm watching Noah Spence go against Joe Thune. And uh, you know you go you go through it and you see um, you see these guys. Uh, another guy, uh, I think Devontae Fields, um, uh, Louisville went against him a few times. Uh, you see these really good pass rushers going against him, and, and I'll be damned if he's not giving them you know a hard time. Uh, even a Shaq Lawson, who I think the world of. Um, and, yeah, they're beating him, but you know Shaq Lawson also beat Ronnie Stanley uh, a couple of times. So. Um, I think that uh, a guy that can stand up to them at a position like left tackle where he's not supposed to stand up to them, um, you know, that, that guy has my interest. And then you look at him from an agility standpoint, from a pure agility standpoint, he's unique. Joe Thune has uh, agility that is unique for the position. His lateral mobility is, is basically off the charts. Um, so you look at what he can do in space uh, at the next level, and you know, if if the guy has anchor ability, and that's the real that's the real question because he's not he's not huge. He's probably only about 300 pounds. Um, if he has anchor ability at the next level, then you could be looking at uh, a pretty good a pretty good player. But hey, you know, Jr. Sweezy just got what six and a half million a year, and he's he's dreadful in pass protection. So um, right. I think that you know, you look at a Joe Thune, and with his unique ability to move, yeah, he could probably he could probably work it out. Yeah, it's really interesting because Joe Thune, a player, 6'5", 304 pounds, ran under a 5 flat in the 40, so ran a 4.95. Bench pressed 28 times. Low 4.9. I mean, that's incredible for a guy of his size, and he has the tape as well, uh, according to your evaluation there. So uh, a player that's projected right now to go, if I'm understanding it correctly, in the fourth, fifth round, somewhere in that range, uh, I'm curious what, what other people are missing in Joe Thune? Well, I, I, I think that it's it's the size. It's the size and the anchor. I mean, you can't get over the feeling that uh, because he's a little bit of thinner, a thinly built guy that he's going to get – I mean, you, you know that he's not going to play left tackle based on his frame. He just doesn't have the reach. He doesn't have the dominating frame. So you're talking about moving him inside the guard, right? And inside a guard is where, you know, only the strong survive. And uh, this is a guy that um, that you kind of wonder about because of his size. And so I think that's why he's he's down the boards. I mean, yeah, he's got that agility, but and that that uh, straight up athleticism. But um, but at that inside position, really, what you should have at a premium is is overall strength. Uh, and then you know the agility is kind of a nice thing to add to it. So if you're looking for that first and the guy can't even pass protect, then you have a player that's problematic for your offense. I think that's got to be the thinking, and I, because of that, he's going to be a day three guy, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can't help it. I look at, I've look i looked at, I think, seven, seven, eight games of his trying to find instances of him really getting, you know, bullied around um, by these big, massive, strong guys, and it's just, it's just not happening that, that often. Yeah, CK, I, I want to ask you kind of a loaded question here because one of the things Kat and I talked about before we pulled you on the air here was the fact that 
we've looked in the past at some of these offensive tackles in college that you may kick inside for a season or two to play offensive guard, but they may actually still develop into that left tackle in the future, which Miami is going to need in the next couple of years with Brandon Albert's age and period of health. Um, who do you see? Because I know I've got a couple of guys I put notes on, but who do you see as the guys that could be the eventual left tackle replacement that may start out a guard? Well, I think that the, the first guy that I mentioned, uh, LaRaven Clark, obviously has the has the pure ability to play there. Um, I'm looking at guys that are probably going to move into guard for Miami because that's where the need is. But if you look, if you if you're going to look at a guy that has, um, I guess the uh, optionality, uh, then Raven Clark is top of your list. So um, that's that's where I would go with that. Um, the uh, the uh, his name escapes me right now. But, um, the Stanford left tackle has always Kyle been a Murphy. guy that I've yeah. Kyle Murphy has always been a guy that uh, that stood out to me as um, very uh, very accomplished and uh, and kind of a, a strong tackle. I honestly think that Cody Whitehair probably should be playing tackle because uh, when I watch him play, that's that's kind of what I see is is I see a tackle and I see a guy that may be a right tackle because his arms aren't long enough, or maybe he could be a left tackle. You don't know. Um, you know, so, so I would actually look at white hair as a possibility down the road as, as a tackle. And uh, you, get, you go through those kinds of guys, and I think that you're okay. I'm not so sure about uh, Spencer Drango that way. Um, I know he played left tackle, but, um, you know, there, there's, some, there's some things on tape that I haven't necessarily liked. Um, he turned me off a couple of times. Now, another guy, too, Chris, that we haven't talked about yet, I see projected late first, early second round from Ryan Tannehill's old college, Texas A&M, is uh, Jermaine Afidi, uh, 6'6", 324 pounds. I see him projected late first round in a few mocks, uh, both at the guard and the tackle position. Have you had a chance to look at him a lot? Uh, not, not a whole lot, but, I mean, I've looked at him enough, and uh, and I know how I know how he looks in drills. I know how he looks in uh you know, athletically. So obviously he's, he's very compelling that way. Um, but I haven't really, I mean, again, this is one of those guys that you kind of, you kind of roll through the film and you're trying to find guys that show you something that, um, that, that strikes you or makes you want to see more. And he was one of those guys that I had a little bit of trouble wanting to see more. Um, it Mm -hmm. wasn't quite, uh, it wasn't quite like it was with, you know, some of the other guys that I mentioned. Right, and when I look at Afidi too, from what I've seen in him, at I'd be more comfortable with him at guard. But it's not uh, the assumption can't be made, and and you always bring this point up every draft year that you can't just assume that a player is going to be able to switch positions as a rookie, in addition to everything else they're learning and grasp things that quickly. Some can, some can't, but it's hard to predict that. That's why these guys tend to be better uh, value in the middle rounds. Afidi to me as a right tackle. When I looked at him, was a, what I call a, a plant and grab right tackle. He, he did not yeah. have very good feet. Uh, it, you know, he would plant his feet, and then it, it's like with the these edge rushers, he'd be trying to grab them around the edge. Sometimes he hits some, sometimes he doesn't. But yeah, he, he's very yeah, there's interesting. There's a little bit of sluggishness well. with with him. I think that you bring up you bring up the the point that I I would like to make, and that's when when it comes to these guys that are that are moving from tackle to guard. Um, especially guys that haven't already played at guard. 
Um, when you're looking at moving a tackle to guard, there is some question. I think people like to pretend that there's no questionable. Uh, there's no question about that. That it's just it's just a move. It's it's easy. It's it's not a well. It's not that easy. And um, and I think that it's different when it's actually different and more ideal when you have a veteran that knows leverage and knows hand use and knows offenses. Um, and that is actually bought in and wants to make that move versus when you have a rookie um, and, and he's trying to make that move in his, in his first year, it can, it can really go, it can really go either way. And sometimes you see people push these, these converts up into the, the high, the high reaches of the draft. And I have a hard time making my first overall pick. Um, based on a guy or on a guy that uh, that has to move to a different position than what made him a standout in college, uh, that's just a, that's a general thing. Um, so I, you really have to make make a, or be very careful with that because you're you're looking at a guy that often, you know, what are you looking at? You're looking at a guy that can't play left tackle. So obviously, you saw something insufficient in his tape, right? You saw something that that you didn't like because you're going to move him. If you really liked him, you're going right. to keep him at where where he is right now. So, um, so you start at that point, and then you're going to go ahead with a first round. I mean, that's why I, I can't necessarily put Cody Whitehair in as a first round pick. I know some people are trying to do that. Um, you know, that's that's not what I see. That's not where where I'm going with that in, in terms of risk management and also you know just looking at the tape. So um, yeah, it, it's not something it's not something you can count on. But luckily, I think Miami made enough moves in free agency uh, to ensure that they don't need an immediate rookie starter, which might not necessarily be the case. For instance, at corner, which we talked about last week, um, where they may need an immediate guy, you know, an immediate guy that can start um, right away. Right. I'll tell you what, CK, at this point every year before the draft, uh, there are two players I despise based on previous drafts, Russell Wilson and Zach Martin, because everybody who's six foot four, 300 pounds, uh, Caucasian, who isn't very strong and plays left tackle and at a big school suddenly can easily switch to the left guard spot and immediately start week one and knock people around at that position. I used to be able to point out he's not that strong. He's not that big. He played left tackle. It's going to take a little bit of time, and everyone's like, oh, well, look at Zach Martin. Same thing at the quarterback spot, where before I used to be able to say, hey, look, it's really difficult for somebody under six foot tall, a quarterback, to play that position at a high level. And I was like, oh, we'll look at Russell Wilson. So <laughs> there's always that every year as well. I'm with yep. you on Cody Whitehair. I would not take him in the first round. I wouldn't take him at 42 because I, nothing really jumps out. Uh, you know, on one hand, I think he's a good player. He's a good kid. But this guy had 16 bench press reps, not very good coming out there. Yep. And in addition to that, you know, in addition to having everything he's got to prepare for as a young man, as a rookie heading into the league, he's also got to switch to guard and go up uh, week one or against, you know, the Marcel Dariuses of the NFL. Yeah. I mean, and he's a good, he's a good dependable, durable player. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, uh, that you can trust, I think, based on what I've heard to, to learn a new position and, and accept coaching and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you're talking about your first pick in the draft. This is this is your first shot, um, the guy that you're going to take that you think is is going to make an impact on your team, and um, 
sometimes I have I have trouble. I'm like you. I have I have a little bit of trouble with that entire concept. So I'm going to ask you both the same question, and, and, and I'll even answer it myself based on what I've looked at. We've talked about a number of these guys here, and Kat, I'll go to you first on this. Um, when you look at the offensive guard prospects, whether it's a center moving to guard, whether it's a tackle moving to guard, or it's somebody that actually played guard in college, all these guys we talked about on this list tonight, what is the earliest point in the draft that if you were a general manager, you would take one of these guys off the board? Um, I would say, I would say when you get into the third round, you can pick from a lot of different guys. Um, I don't think Cody Whitehair will be there based on where he's projected. Uh, I don't think Josh Garnett, even if he's there, the Dolphins will take him because he's a bigger, more of a power player. Um, Christian Westerman, for me, if he's there in the third round, could be a very big consideration for the Dolphins. Otherwise, I could see them falling more to the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds to look at those players like a Joe Thune, if he's available, uh, or somebody who's a converted tackle. Chris? I, I would think about I would give I would think actually pretty hard about La Raven Clark in the second round as early as the second round and the reason I say that is because in addition to being his team's best offensive lineman and and having played left tackle because of that um, and having looked like an absolute beast at times uh, in honest tape uh, in addition to all that he he has everything check out from a physical standpoint he is a physically compelling player and you know i say this uh i say this about the center position too when it comes to making a guy a first round pick for instance um if you're going to take a guy you know on the interior of the offensive line that high there has to be something unique about him there has to be something that makes him a unique player at that position that you really think is going to be top, you know, top five at that kind of position to, in order to, to take him that high. Now we're talking about second round right now with, uh, with LaRaven Clark. So we're not talking about first round, but if I had to say what's unique about LaRaven Clark, it's that in addition to having some really compelling tape at times, and then some other times when the, when the tape is not so good, but you kind of wonder about the offensive line split issue. Um, you know, in addition to having good tape that way, he's really, really physically compelling. And that's what Brandon Brooks had. You know, that's what that's what I, I liked about him coming out. And so I would actually think about LaRaven Clark in the second round. Um, I don't know if Miami will or if it's even appropriate for Miami to do that because – they don't have the luxury of entering this draft with no needs. You know, no, um, they, they, they do need to, to fill some spots. And they need to get a running back. They need to get a cornerback. Um, and they need to get a defensive end. And, and, and then guard is also a thing that they need to get. But that's sort of a long-term issue because, like I said, you, you might be getting a guy that's not even going to play this year. So, but I would think about him as, as early as second. You know, one player that we haven't discussed on the interior of the line who's pretty popular uh, heading up into to April 28th is Ryan Kelly, the center from Alabama. Looks like that pure center at 6'4", 3'11", that, that pivot man. Do you think there's any possibility the Dolphins consider him at 42 if he ends up falling to that spot? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I guess I guess you never say never, but I, I, I think that um, – I don't. I don't think. First off, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to consider anybody at 42 
for the offensive line, uh, unless it's a guy that they think can actually play left tackle when Brandon Albert is gone. Um, Mm-hmm. Second, you know, I, I, I don't know about Ryan Kelly moving over. Um, I guess I just don't have the evaluation on him to to say that I'm confident in that. Well, staying on that left tackle spot, final question that, that we'll throw your way tonight is, uh, Ronnie Stanley, in the very unlikely event that he falls to number 13, even though he's not going to play his first year, you would think, because you have Brandon Albert and Juwan James at that spot. Would you take him at 13? Um, I, I love Ronnie Stanley. Uh, I think that there is actually a fairly strong chance that he could uh, he could fall to 13. I, we just don't know at this point. Um, there's a lot of talk out there that you know there's only one there's only one real elite tackle in this draft, and that's Laramie Tunsil. And you know Ronnie Stanley has problems. There have been uh, questions raised about him off the field. I don't really know what those are based on um, in the classroom, those sorts of things. What I see when I look at him is, you know, I see a pass-protecting left tackle on the order of a Richmond Webb. Um, and and so, naturally, I would be perfectly fine with taking him at 13 overall. But I think that, you know, in terms of being a competitive team, uh if you really are trying to compete and you're trying to fill holes on your roster that in some cases you created for yourself, then I'm not sure that you can, you can go there. Um, you know, I would, I would strongly consider it personally, uh, you know, have them in that left guard. And then, and then uh, even though that could go a little more roughly than I, than I would hope um, and eventually take over for Brandon Albert. But um, I just don't know how realistic that is. I don't think it's realistic either if because part of me thinks as well that if there's something about Ronnie Stanley that forces him to fall to 13, that that fall is going to continue. C.K. Burt joining us here on the Finn side, following us all the way up into the NFL draft. We'll dive into some bigger need positions here through throughout um, the rest of April. Uh, or Actually, we're not at we're not even at April yet. That's how excited we are for the draft. Um, C.K., thank you very much for joining us here tonight. Follow him on Twitter at CK Parrot. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go tonight? Uh, no, I think that we pretty much got everything covered. Um, I, I will say that uh, you know, hold tight as far as as far as trades and free agency and and stuff like that goes. I know that Miami recently had Arian Foster in for a visit. I don't think that anything imminent is happening with him because of health reasons, but. Um, you know, the, the, there could still be some trade action. You know, we talk about corner and the need to take a corner at number 13 overall. But, you know, for all we know, you know we wake up tomorrow and they just traded for a keep to leave. So, um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, and, and then we'll hopefully enter the draft with no needs that, re- uh, that require, you know, immediate uh, picking and immediate attention. I would like to enter the draft being able to just go ahead and focus on taking the the best player. So, you know, be be on the lookout for that kind of thing. Well, we we can't let you go on that note. Uh, in terms of Aqib Talib, is that uh, something specifically that is a possibility, or is that a hypothetical? Hey, you, you never know with Mike Tannenbaum as the general manager. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Okay, okay. That's all I need to know. Thanks a lot for joining us here tonight, Chris. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll follow up with you if we're lucky enough. Uh, have you on for the upcoming shows as we get closer to the NFL draft. 
All right. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. C.K. Parrott joining us. Follow him on Twitter and follow us on the Finside on Twitter and on our Facebook page as well. We'd love to hear your questions and your comments as we as we move up to the NFL draft. I'm looking at a lot of tape. C.K. is looking at more tape than he can handle, with uh, even with a baby in his hand. He's, he's still look, breaking down tape for all of us, and we appreciate that, as is Paul. So, uh, Paul, taking a look at the entire segment with C.K., very interesting with, with the guard spot. I think we prioritize that that position a little bit higher than, than C.K. does. Um, he, he tends to think that the Dolphins are going to wait a little bit longer in the draft for that. He tends to have a good pulse on that. But anything that you want to cover that that we um, maybe we didn't get to with C.K.? No, I, I do think that if Miami were to grab one of these guard prospects that we talked about tonight uh, – at 42, I would be a little bit disappointed. Like like you said, I mean, most of these guys I wouldn't look at before the third round. Um, it, it's honestly any of these guys that we talked about tonight, as, as good as the upside is on a few of them, I, I, I'd consider it an absolute reach if Miami were to take them in round two, even if they traded back a few spots. Um, you know, it, it's we talked a little bit about the fact that the interior line seems to get less and less prioritized throughout the league. Um, as each year weighs on with the draft. And, and I do see that trend continuing at this point. I, I don't see anyone that jumps off the page as an immediate plug this guy in and he's going to the Pro Bowl as a rookie based on merit, not just reputation. Um, and, 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 you know, even though there are some very good projects built into here, one guy we didn't talk about uh, is Isaac Sumalo out of Oregon State. And he's a guy that, that definitely has a little bit of project work to him, even though you could plug and play him as a rookie. You, and I do think he's one of those guys that could potentially turn into the best guard in this draft class, even though we've got a few guys penciled in as potential left tackle prospects. So, I mean, there's a lot of different moving pieces with, with this guard position to factor in. There sure is. There sure is, Paul. And uh, another player that seems to be moving up a little bit is a guy named Reese Adiambo from Boise State. I, I've seen him project as high as the third round. That's somebody I need to go back and do a little bit more work on. Six four three fourteen uh, has some tackle guard versatility, and, and that seems to be the overwhelming theme here. Because I'm, I'm with you there, Paul. Is that, and, and this is what does frustrate me when I look back at a an expensive but a robust guard class and. CK brought up Brandon Brooks, who I would love to have seen at that guard spot uh, for the Miami Dolphins. And now maybe we're not even talking about addressing the offensive line in the draft, period, unless we're talking about a future left tackle uh, for Brandon Albert. Um, Cody Whitehair, I don't see what the big deal is about him, even though I think he's a good kid and a good player. Um, and, and Josh Garnett, I think, is a power guy who could go in the second or third round, but I don't see him on the Dolphins' radar. Christian Westerman uh, fits their scheme a little bit better. You heard CK talk about him. Um, but third round, I, I could see that as a possibility, but even that I think is a little bit high. And then there's not a whole heck of a lot separating one guy from another in that fourth through sixth round range. Yeah, and – the, the only thing I would say is depending on what the Dolphins wanted to do in terms of the future with, with whoever they're looking at. Because, like I said, I've got three guys noted um, in, in what I've looked at so far as potential left tackles of the future. But one of the things that we talked about before we even had CK on was the fact that going into the season right now, Miami's backup plan at center 
if Pouncey were to go down with yet another injury, is um, Jameel Douglas and, and what a catastrophe that was last year. So it could be a situation, depending on what the Dolphins see as the long-term answers in a number of different directions, where they looked at a Graham Glasgow or somebody else that's played some center in college um, and actually has experience there, and they look at that as the possibility for, okay, they're going to be a backup or potentially if they manage to unseat at guard, but if Mike Pouncey were to go down again, they're going to fill in at center. So, I mean, there's a number of different directions that they can go in with this. Right, and, and glass gloves – Glasgow, excuse me, is an interesting name out of Michigan. Uh, first of all, I have respect for anyone who uh, is a multi-year starter who plays in front of 80,000 people on a week-to-week basis. Six six three zero seven tested out athletically a lot better than I thought at the combine. Uh, 5.13 in the 40. It really did look the part, too. And he has that center guard versatility as well. So very, very interesting in a lot of different directions where the Dolphins can can go in the NFL draft here. So um, taking a look here moving forward, Paul, we'll, we'll continue to delve more and more deeper and deeper into the Dolphins' needs uh, uh, going forward. But the question I continue to ask myself is this, is when you look at this guard class in the NFL draft, are you going to spend and you spend a, a, a second or third round pick on a pure guard, which I don't think is going to happen. You don't think so. CK doesn't either. Are they even going to be really better than Billy Turner or Jameel Douglas, who are on rookie contracts and have some experience under their belt as well? I actually think, unlike Dallas Thomas, that Jameel Douglas does have some physical ability. I think Billy Turner showed a lot of good things last year, a lot of bad things with the penalties and some missed assignments. But, you know, that, that that's to be expected out of somebody who's really in their first year start, especially one just thrown in there in week six without many reps on top of that. So, very, very interesting. A lot of moving parts here with the Miami Dolphins. Paul, is there anything else you'd like to cover tonight before we call it a night? Um, no, I think we're good. What, what position, just for those listening out there, are we looking at for next week to uh, discuss with CK just so they can know what to look forward to? Yeah, if CK can be generous enough with his time, and that's that's up for grabs, he does have a little girl at home, um, then we, we'll probably look at the running back position. But you know that that's really up for grabs. Uh, we're we're pretty flexible here, so we'll we'll take a look at that. My preference would be to cover the running backs. Maybe we throw even another position there because when we get to this next week, we're heck we're going to be just about three weeks away from the NFL draft. Sounds good to me. Have a good night. Sounds good to me too. Sounds good to me. And if it is not on the left side and it is not on the right side, it is on the fin side. Have a good night.